When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome everyone to our Friday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby here with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And we just heard from Browns GM Andrew Barry his pre-draft availability on Friday. So kind of, we were just talking about this before I hit record. Sort of a whole lot of nothing. And we had some texters commenting on that when I sent out what Andrew Barry basically did or didn't say. Um, and Look, GMs are required to do this. It's a rule. They all have to do it, and most of them are really good at not saying anything. Andrew Barry takes it to a whole new level. But Mary Kay, I guess let's just start here. What did you take away? Like, what what stood out to you? I know you've got a couple stories up already somehow. What, what stood out to you from this presser? Well, you know, I actually did find two headlines in there, you guys, so... I did the best I could. One of those headlines was the fact, of course, we had to ask him about Baker Mayfield saying that he feels disrespected. And why is that still important? Because he's on the trading block right now. Uh, So Andrew Berry addressed that and basically said that uh, he feels that they were very, very transparent with Baker's representation. So I thought that was significant because he is disagreeing with Baker Mayfield. Once again, more disconnect between the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. So let's start with that, you guys, and then we can move on to the other headline. (laughs) Yeah, it's like not really surprising at this point. I feel like there's just such a disconnect between these two parties, and that was obviously like a huge part of the problem from the beginning of this. And I know we talked about it more like at length after we did our pod reacting to the Baker Mayfield pod, but it's almost like, I I wonder if there was like some selective hearing involved (laughs) there almost, you know, like when the Browns tell them, Oh, you know, we're going to, we're not, he's our guy unless X, Y, and Z becomes available. So I've always kind of wondered that these last few weeks as this has played out, what, what the miscommunication exactly was. And I don't know, is it, can it be both ways? Like, can yeah. Baker Mayfield feel disrespected, but also the like the Browns? Look, you had a chance to get Deshaun Watson, and again, the off-field stuff is part of it. But just simply on the field, he is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, significantly so. And I'm sure Baker even would, in his heart of hearts, acknowledge that he is not as talented as Deshaun Watson. So uh, it feels like both sides could maybe be right here. But I did think it was interesting that Andrew did push back because. He's never afraid to just say, you know what, I don't want to talk about that. Because his initial Baker answer was basically about the draft. Yeah. He said, I'm focused on the draft. But then he, he did kind of come back and respond to that remark. Yeah, and you know what? I do think that the answer can be both. He can feel disrespected, and the Browns can go out and do what they need to do, and that's business. But I think where uh, the disconnect here is uh, from Baker actually stating that the Browns told me one thing and did another. So he is, in essence, calling them liars, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think that's the part where Andrew has to defend himself and has to defend the club for how they do business. Because, in truth, they didn't lie 
to Baker Mayfield and his reps. But, like you said, Ashley, selective hearing. Yeah. They heard what we heard. Mm -hmm. And what we heard was, we fully expect Baker Mayfield to be the starter next year. Oh, and yeah, we are going to explore other things, but we fully expect... I mean, like, they hit (laughs) that angle pretty darn hard. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's... And I know you brought this up, too, before Mary Kay, but, like, at that time, at the Combine, when that story came out, it's like... No one knew anything that was going to happen with Deshaun Watson. No one knew legally what was going on. Like, the landscape changed very quickly. So I think that's also a part of it. There were these circumstances that neither party was in control of. And I, the other part of it, too, is that desperation, right, that kicked in. I, I'm sure the Browns looked at the landscape and were like, well, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be available. Russell Wilson went to Denver. Do we really want Mitch Trubisky? Do we really want Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, where's the upgrade? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Deshaun will take a meeting with us. And and then, well, then the, you go and give him 230. Like, when that opportunity presented itself, on top of just not knowing at the time that it was even going to be a possibility, it's like, oh, okay, well, this the, is the moment. The desperation gets worse when you go and have that meeting and you're kind right. of told you're out of the running and then you come back and your quarterback's like, well, I want to trade anyway because you went and <laughs> had this meeting. Like, it, it's almost like the level, you can see why the desperation kind of ramped up if that was the case. And I really believe that the Browns did not think that all of this quarterback movement was going to take place. I don't even know if they really thought that Russell was going to leave Seattle. I mean, I think that that Andrew and the Browns really felt that it would be static and that, as in previous years, most quarterbacks would land uh, in their previous homes. And all of a sudden, you know, there started to be the quarterback musical chairs, but still... As as we've mentioned, they were not going for, you know, just a little bit better than Baker Mayfield. That's not what they wanted. If they could get Russell, if they could get Aaron, or if they could get Deshaun Watson, that's what they were aiming for. They were going for the gusto. But they really, truly did not believe they were going to be able to make it happen. Because think of all the things and all the hurdles they had to cross just to land Deshaun Watson. Weather. I mean, everything. The yeah. fact that he would want to stay in the South. You know, the, the fact that he might be more comfortable in the NFC. I mean, just all these mm-hmm. different things. They, I don't think they ever really thought that they would be sitting here today with Deshaun Watson as their starting quarterback. This just, this just keeps kind of reinforcing what I've thought for a while here. Just do whatever it takes yeah. to <laughs> just get him out of here. Like, I, I can fully respect the idea of saying, well, we're going to maximize this asset and this is an analytics-driven front office, and that's that's the way it works, right? Like, you know, again, I always talk about the NBA, but I think Andrew Barry is very influenced by the NBA. He brought it up today. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I've asked him some things about it in the past. Um, but, you know, like, look what Daryl Morey did with Ben Simmons, right? He probably should have traded him, but he waited and waited and waited until the right opportunity came along. And I think the Browns are probably looking at this like, there probably is a real asset there that we could get back, but... I don't know. Like at, at this point, if we know how Baker is, he might go on three more podcasts in the next three months if they don't trade him. So I, I don't know. This just sort of reinforces this idea of maybe you just got to suck it up on this one and just take the hit. Because on top of that, I don't know what you're getting back for Baker, even at the highest, highest value. Well, you know, I would tend to agree with you on, on that, Dan. And I've been giving this actually a lot of thought because. At one point, I was going to write a column just saying, you know, like, let's get this over with. Like, let's get him out of here. Let's move on. But then I started to think that 
Andrew Barry also has to make a statement. He has to make a statement that says players that come to play for the Cleveland Browns cannot just dictate what they want to happen. I'm the boss, and I'm in charge, and this is how I'm going to do business. And if it's if it benefits the Browns, I'll do it. But I'm not out here, you know, just doing favors, and you're not going to, you know, kick and scream. And I'll tell you what, the climate was a lot different at that combine when they did talk to Baker Mayfield's agent, Tom Mills. There was a spirit of cooperation back then, and it was, hey, if we do happen to land one of these elite quarterbacks, we'll do everything that we possibly can to help Baker land in a good spot. Mm-hmm. Well, that's out the window now. And that went out the window when he asked to be traded after Deshaun Watson turned them down, supposedly. So now they are back to sort of the, you know what, we're going to do what's best for the Cleveland Browns. We are not going to bend over backwards to make your life easy. And this comes on the heels of basically Odell Beckham Jr., kicked and screamed his way out of town, and they accommodated him. Mm -hmm. And they did that in large part because, I think, because they needed to, they needed to back up their potential franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. But you don't want back-to-back situations where a quarterback's like, or a player's like, get me out of here. And they're like, oh, okay, here's the door, we'll open it for you, and you need anything packed, we'll help you out. You need a lunch, you need (laughs) a little box lunch on your way out? I mean, like, we got you. Yeah, I wondered how the Odell thing, like, when you started going down that route, and I'm thinking about that, it's like, yeah, like, they did, and at the time when the Odell thing happened, you know, we talked about an important element of that was maybe with how this offense looked, that in the future, that might help them with the getting a franchise receiver, um, and I do think back then, it was like, okay, like, you can see why this might be beneficial down the road, even though it's not super beneficial in the immediate, but yeah, to have it happen back-to-back would be, I think, a totally different climate. So that's interesting, because a, a question I was thinking about asking, but it was one of those weird, like, I don't know how to really word this, and I don't know if this is the right setting to ask it, but we're seeing, right, like, Debo Samuel just demanded a trade. Tyreek Hill gets traded out of Kansas City because they couldn't get it, they didn't want to pay him. We're seeing more and more players saying, pay me or get me out, or I don't like my role, get me out, right? It's the NBA thing. These guys have watched NBA players do it going back to 2010. So I, I'm curious, like this team tries to be ahead of the curve. They try to, you know, contingencies upon contingencies. They're probably watching this thinking like, we've got to be prepared. And we've got to understand this is probably the new reality of the NFL. I mean, two years from now, is Amari Cooper going to say, hey, I want $30 million a year because that's what everybody else mm-hmm. is getting. So pay me or trade me. And maybe this is, you know, you give in on Baker, you gave in on Odell. I mean, yeah, I mean, you might be onto something there, Mary Kay, with this idea of we're going to set the tone that when you come play for us, we'll take care of you, but we're also not going to bend over backwards to just give in to whatever you want. Yeah, and the the first example of this was when David Njoku asked Mm -hmm. to be traded. And Andrew Barry was like, uh, no. Right. Not happening, right? So this is the wave of the future. This is what players are going to be doing more and more. And I think that Andrew Barry and the Browns, to a certain extent, are sort of, you know, standing their ground, planting their flag, whatever you want to call it, to say, okay, you know what? We're going to do business our way. We're the boss, and we're, we're not going to get pushed around by players. Or even if they're just sending a message to other teams. Mm-hmm. Maybe this isn't a message just to players. It's 
We're not, we're not giving this guy away for nothing. Right. We're not going to let him dictate his value. We have a value in our mind. We have an amount that maybe we're willing to pay even, but we're not going to go below that value. Right. And you know what the leverage that they have is? They can hang on to him <laughs> yeah. for the whole season if they want to. And they are so good at capology. And he's got to show up, too. Yeah. At, like, he, he at some point, sh- he loses he all He has to leverage. show up. He has to show up. Mm-hmm. And as we now know, because of Britton Berry's cute yeah. tweet, we know <laughs> that Andrew Berry has been uh, a capologist since he was in the fifth grade. And so these guys are so good at managing the cap that they can absorb this $18.86 million hit for the, the entire season if they have to. Yeah. They can go ahead and do it. And at this point, if, if that's what is best for them, that's what they're going to do. And I know it's not like the exact situation that Andrew Berry was talking about, but today when we were kind of asking him about his strategy in drafts, like he talked about how he's developed this patience over the years. And I mm-hmm. also wonder how that, you know, has carried over to other things like mm-hmm. this, that he's willing to sit there and just wait yeah. and kind of see how the landscape looks and wait until the leverage kind of swings in their favor more. You know, it's, it's funny because we've talked about it with coaches how like coaches we're we're into an era of coaches who grew up playing Madden, right? And so they go for it on fourth down and they don't mm-hmm. like to punt and that sort of helped the analytics movement. Andrew and some of these younger GMs, right? When I did that story on Andrew, it was like Christmas when they would go buy them the Madden games and they would start franchises and kind of do what his, his, uh, what Britain tweeted out, yeah. kind of that sort of stuff. There's a whole bunch of young GMs that have been growing up doing like cap management and roster building and like that's been there whether it's on a video game or whether they're doing it on paper or whatever like they've all kind of grown up in this world as kids and now that that's sort of translating over and Andrew's what 30 how old is he now 34 Might be 34 35 35 oh 35 maybe mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I mean he's kind of right in that wheelhouse and as we start to see younger and younger GMs they're going to have basically grown up with this stuff, running their, as silly as it sounds, running their Madden franchises and managing the cap on Madden. Like, that's that's a real thing. Yeah, and when you think about it, uh, when you look at the structure of Denzel Ward's contract, mm-hmm. he got the same $1.035 million base salary in 2022 that Deshaun Watson did. And so when you look at... Uh, Deshaun Watson, and you look at Amari Cooper and Denzel Ward. You've got those three multi-multi Pro Bowl players who are currently adding up to less than $20 million on the cap for 2022. That's what happens when you've been doing this since you were 11 years old. Yeah. And you've been doing it with your Madden games and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's also why I'm convinced that like all this cap space they have, like Landry might be back, Clowney might be back, mm-hmm. but I also think they're going to save some to keep rolling over and rolling. Mm-hmm. We might have, we might come to a year where this team actually has like three hundred million in cap space because they've rolled over all this. I mean, it's right. It's a hard cap in name only. You you can basically make it a soft cap for yourself, and I think they really value that. The other thing I want to touch on is trading up. Mm-hmm. He didn't rule out trading into the first round, but he certainly didn't rule it in, I guess. It was sort of a, yeah, it's unlikely to happen. Mary Kay, I asked you this on the video we, we just recorded. Do you believe him? You know, I do believe him because I do think that it really would be cost prohibitive to try to climb back up into the first round. Starting at number 44, you'd have to give some things up maybe into next year, and you already don't have... Uh, your first round pick for next year and you don't have your 
third round pick for next year. And, you know, so they, again, need to not be giving away too many picks right now. So I actually took from that today that I think they probably will stay there at number 44. If they move anywhere, maybe it would be up be up like two or three spots yeah. because somebody's about to jump you and take a guy. Mm-hmm. But I think they'll probably stay in that vicinity. Yeah, I mean, did you believe it, Ashley? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's like one of the most definitive things he said <laughs> today, I think. So when he says something like that, I am, I think in the little interaction I've had with Andrew Berry in the time I've been working here, I am more inclined to believe him. And it's it's kind of like what we saw the last couple of years with him, right? It's not like he traded up in the first round last year, but he did trade up to get JOK slightly into the second round because they didn't want to let somebody else scoop him up. So I do think, you know, I, I still wonder kind of like what we talked about um, what we've been talking about with like somebody like George Pickens, for example, if they were to fall in love with a receiver or somebody who could potentially go in the 30s, if they would be willing to trade up a little higher in the second round to get him. But the first round, I, I kind of agree with Mary Kay, just in terms of the assets that they have right now, they can't be giving away too much. Yeah, I think if there's a move up, it's like to 39. Mm-hmm. But again, I also think it's almost more likely that 44 will come up and there'll be like five guys they like and they'll move down. Because mm-hmm. they, they want draft capital. That's something they value. That's They will always value that. They will always value adding picks. It's When you, know, when you can go get a quarterback, obviously that changes that. Changes that. But generally speaking, they're not going to want to give up just tons and tons of draft capital. And, you know, the wave of the future, it seems, is that teams are willing to give up these first-round picks mm-hmm. to get what they want, to go out and go all in, and get yourself a Super Bowl. I mean, that's what's happening lately, and I think we're going to see more and more of that over the years. Uh, Teams are going to not necessarily try to draft their quarterback at number one or number five or whatever. They're going to go out and buy themselves a quarterback, and there are a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL right now and young ones. Yeah. So I think we're going to see more quarterback movement as the years go by. Yeah, well, that Rams model, basically, which Andrew Berry did get asked about that directly <laughs> today, too. And Like, I don't think this is going to happen, but, like, what if, like, just completely in theory, what if Joe Burrow wants this huge amount of guaranteed money and the Bengals don't guarantee lots of money and they, they hedge? And so what if he says, yeah, all right, that's fine. Trade me. Somebody else will give it to me. Yeah. I don't think that would I don't think that specific situation would happen, but I think we will see moments like that. And then the other thing we'll see is we're gonna see teams giving up Trent Richardson. He, the Trent Richardson <laughs> trade came up today. We're gonna see yeah. teams making the ridiculous, oh, you're trading first round picks for a running back? Like we're gonna see teams overcompensate for positions where they shouldn't. Right. But yeah, I, I think there's going to be some quarterbacks who if if they're not getting the money they think they deserve, especially after seeing what Deshaun got, they might say, fine, if you're not going to give me that, somebody else will. And they'll give you three first-round draft picks for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at, I mean, look at Kyler Murray right now as we speak is, you know, unhappy uh, with, with the Cardinals. So I think, you know, this is going to change. This is changing the uh, the landscape, the quarterback landscape in the NFL. All right, I think that's everything. He didn't say a whole lot, obviously. I actually thought today was like a very personable Andrew Barry. Maybe maybe he was just relieved, like to, they got through the really awful, ugly press conference they had to get to, and maybe he was just relieved to be sitting in front of us talking you, talking draft today. If you can get him to talk about the movie Draft Day, which <laughs> was accomplished today. 
no doubt that the personality will come out. And we have a streak ourselves we going, do. right? We did it again. <laughs> we, this is why I, <laughs> said, I turned again. to Dan and I said, this is the third day in a row draft day has come up and boy, will I be mentioning it. <laughs> yeah, this is the third day on the podcast. We are, we are on a roll. The only other thing real quick is that I think that uh, we know this about Andrew by now. Just because they do need another starting receiver doesn't mean he's going to be on the hunt for one at number 44. Mm -hmm. They're going to stay true to the board, and when number 44 comes up, they will take the best available player. I really believe that he will do that over the years. Can I throw this out there? Oh, go ahead, Ashley. I was just going to say, like, another thing that we've been getting at, trying to get at with him since the combine, and I know we talked about it a lot that week, is, like, what he values in a receiver room. Like, do they want the receiver room, I think, Dan, the phrase you use is to look like a basketball team, right? Like, all these different, like, a different starting five on the basketball team. And he, you know, we asked him about that again today, and it was just more of the best guy available. Like, you don't get a a sense that they feel like they're missing something specifically that he's going to target in that way. But I, I do think that maybe receiver takes on an outsized value. Again, because we just saw Tyreek Hill get a bunch of money and Stefan Diggs got a bunch of money and Debo Samuel once traded to get a bunch of money. Like, we're seeing these, this receiver market explode. I mean, Devontae Adams, what, did he get 30 a year? Mm-hmm. Something like that. So now you get a receiver at number 44, if that guy can be a number one or number two guy, like that is incredible value. And so I think that receiver position is going to drafting receivers is going to become just as valuable as draft, not just as valuable, but it's like drafting quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it just keeps bringing to mind that they got an incredible bargain on Amari Cooper. <laughs> yeah, fifth round yeah. pick, and they're paying him twenty a year. I mean, my Unreal. goodness! Like right after that, right after that trade, boom. The receiver market skyrocketed, so it'll be interesting. But you're right. I mean, this—it's if you can find a really, those are value positions right now. Yeah, that that rookie cap is going to be. It, we've seen what it did with quarterbacks. When you get that rookie quarterback who's really good, or that you know, when that rookie deal quarterback is really good, what you can do, like Joe Burrow is the most valuable. You know, Justin Herbert. These guys are the mm-hmm. most valuable assets in football right now because they cost nothing compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the market. Um, you start to get those receivers. So I still think it's probably going to be receiver at 44, unless there's a run and there's just nobody there. Then, then they might go edge rusher or tackle or something like that. I mean, if, if I were the, the GM, if I were running the team, I'd still get that receiver as high as I possibly could. Because, I mean, what if Amari Cooper gets injured and can't play for four or five games? Yeah. I mean, you still need a couple of really good receivers on this yeah. football team. Yep, I agree. All right, I think we're set. Our uh, Andrew Berry reaction pod to uh, him. Was this a pod about nothing? This is like a Seinfeld, <laughs> like a Se- our Seinfeld podcast. Um, all right, so that'll do it. We've got a big draft roundtable coming your way over the weekend, so uh, make sure you're subscribed so you get that. And make sure you're a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. We will talk to you all later. Thanks.